CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, we're live at the NASDAQ market site on this Friday the 13th. The guys here getting ready behind me, and while they're doing that, here's what's coming up on the show. It's a cool-looking jet, but after a torrid run, Boeing shares are hitting turbulence, and it could spell trouble for one group of stocks. We'll tell you how to profit. Plus, talk about a bank job, and the result could spell trouble for one stock next week. We'll explain. And Netflix is set to report earnings on Monday, and we'll tell you how big a move options traders see it having. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. Let's get right to it because bank earnings officially kicked off this morning with J.P. Morgan, Citi, and Wells Fargo. Despite beats across the board, all three of these stocks closed in the red today, making financials the worst performing sector in the session. So could this spell trouble ahead of the next wave of reports next week? Let's get straight to the chart master, Carter Worth, who's standing by at the plasma, ready to go. Hey, Carter. How are you? It's, uh, I mean, look, it was a big week not only for those three, Five of the top 11 biggest financials reported this week. It's not a good week for them, and the presumption is there's more to come. Let's just put this in context, and I think um, it's important. What I've chosen is a start date of the absolute high of the 2007 bull market. So 11 October 2007, two lines, the market and the BKX. I mean, imagine that, more than a decade, and your results owning the BKX is unch, down 1%, let's call that unch, versus, of course, the market. So the thought might be that one could play this for catch-up. But in fact, of late, it's not only not catching up, it's underperforming the market uh, even uh, on the here and now basis. So let's roll through some charts and try to figure it out together. Here's the index. I think you can draw the lines this way, well-defined trend line. And, you know, the the Often the bet is, and, and the bet that I would like to make, is that you bounce off that line. But individual equities, one at a time, are undercutting. City's already done it, and certain others, and I think there's more to come. So that the presumption is the whole index is going to break. Now, here's the same chart, and this is telling. Same chart, but look at relative performance. It peaked right after the election, and all of this advance in banks and how, quote, good they've been, no, they haven't been good. They've been below market performance, adjusted for beta risk, much below market performance. Let's go back to the index itself and then look at Morgan Stanley. And this is one of the ones that's already started to break. You can see it sort of here just below the line. And the presumption is, just as Citi has already done that, that Morgan Stanley is next. So back to the index itself holding the line as individual components break, the parts compose the whole, the presumption is the whole will break. Morgan Stanley's on the radar here, and I think it will, Goldman too, break next week. Seller. All right. Well, come on back over. And in the meantime, Mike, how are you trading Morgan Stanley? Yeah, you know, we, we have a little bit of a dilemma here because a lot of the financials on a lot of metrics, I think, don't look partic particularly expensive. We had some pretty good results this week. We have reason to believe that 
businesses like Morgan Stanley, we saw good asset growth from BlackRock, if not from the institutional side, from the retail side. Morgan Stanley is increasingly hinged to asset management. We see more deal flow this year. That's obviously good for the investment banking side. We have more volatility. That's good for sales and trading. So when you think about their businesses, you'd say, well, that all looks pretty good. On top of all of that, they look relatively cheap relative to the rest of the sector. Outside of that, though, they perform very badly. And what's interesting to me when I take a look at Morgan Stanley is the implied move next week is about 3.4%. That's less than average. What is moving less than average these days? For the last 30 days, everything has been volatile. So to me, you know, when you see a combination of that weakness and also the options pricing in a smaller than expected move, the average move, that doesn't make much sense. I'm inclined to make a bearish bet here. I was looking out to June. The 52 and a half, 47 foot spread, you spend $1.40 for that trade. So you're looking at less than 3% of the current stock price. We do have some you know, increases in those wing puts, and that's one of the reasons why we like this trade. But to me, I mean, I don't really see how you could be overly optimistic after what we saw this week. Yeah, so I think what the most important thing about this trade is that, you know, Mike obviously can make a pretty decent fundamental case for owning this stock here on valuation and maybe some of the catalysts that you'll see. But I think what Carter's really talked about, the, the poor relative performance, and then when you have this technical setup going below the long-term uptrend, it really does lend itself to looking out not just next week on the earnings. Let's look by that. And that's why I really like that you're looking for a June um, put spread. But then also the width of this spread, you're really not looking for this thing to crash. You're looking for it to really come back to a level that Carter's identified. So I like the risk reward of the trade. Um, and I like the timing of it, too. And when Mike says, well, you know, maybe it moves two and a half, three percent or something like that, that's what Bank America J.P. Morgan, Citi, and Wells Fargo had all been down today at one point. Everybody so. thought that good earnings would basically right. take the market's eye off of the headline risk that we've been seeing. And what did we see today? That didn't happen. We got good earnings. Well, can we just talk about that for a second? And there is that was a ridiculous narrative. I heard it all week. I know. Can and we stop talking about Citi? We stop talking about this? It got disproven, But I what think, didn't today. get disproven is the yield, because it was when yields compressed today when really banks started taking a turn. I mean, how, how does right, that educate... I, but How it is, it is this, because it's, it's not a fundamental uh, data point for analysis. It's not a technical. It's just a common sense market. If something reports good results and it can't move higher, BlackRock did it. It was a great number. Um, obviously, the other banks today, in particular JP, that's just like, hey, something's wrong. Our horse isn't running. Our athlete isn't performing. That's the big message. Whether it's rates or whether there's nothing left, it's the action in and of itself today that says something's not right. Last quick word, Mike. Yeah, and I was going to say, if you're going to make a bet on rates, you know, maybe buying calls in Bank of America, which is more levered basically to a parallel shift in the yield curve than some of these other names are, would be the way to play it. But they're just not behaving like that's the bet you should be making. All right, moving on. We've got some breaking news on General Electric. Morgan Brennan's in the newsroom with the details. Morgan. Hey, Melissa. So uh, General Electric, as expected, uh, restating its earnings results for 2016 and 2017 tied to that revenue recognition rule that took effect this year that requires companies uh, to basically change the way they're accounting for long-term uh, revenue on long-term contracts. In light of that, here's what we've got from GE. Uh, we've got um, the cumulative retained earnings impact is $8.4 billion, uh, $8 billion less than had previously been stated uh, for 2016 earnings. Those were reduced 
by 13 cents. And for 2017 restated earnings, those reduced by 17 cents per share. So for the most part, in line with the guidance we'd gotten from the company back in February, here's where it starts to get a little funky. Revenue. Now, the revenue accounting standard impacted 2016 revenue by negative $220 million, 2017 by negative $2.2 billion. But the company, in addition to these uh, required accounting changes, has also made some of its own changes to accounting and to uh, its methodology, specifically to change to inventory costs methodology, also uh, other income, so pension accounting and, and some other things that it is accounting for. In light of that, it is taking another $1.6 billion hit to revenue for 2017 and a $4 billion hit to revenue versus its previous uh, reported numbers for 2016. Back over to you. All right. Uh, Morgan, thank you. Morgan Brennan in the newsroom. Uh, traded up today sharply outperformed the markets. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I think that maybe the magnitude of these might be a little bit larger than people expected, but this was expected. I mean, let's be yeah. clear. Everybody was anticipating a restatement. We got one. And actually, you know, what we do need to see is sort of a kitchen sink. You know, let's throw everything out and start fresh. And I think people might actually believe that. And maybe it's in a bottoming formation here, GE. Yeah. Um, you're looking at the industrial space overall? Yeah, so you know, GE's going to report 2018 guidance, or as much as they have visibility to um, next Friday before the opening. Honeywell, one of their competitors, is also reporting. And then the week after that, we have Boeing. So I actually think the industrial space is really interesting. We talk about GE almost every day on this desk. It's the worst performing stock, I think, in the market or on the planet, it feels like. Um, but one of the best performing stocks in the industrial space has obviously been Boeing. There's a stock that is down 10% of the year. It's still... Uh, excuse me, down 10% from its highs of the year. It's still up 12%, massively outperforming the S&P, which is basically flat-ish. And so I think this is a really interesting space, much like the banks were interesting into this uh, today's earnings. I think the industrial space over the next couple of weeks is going to be really interesting, and it could be a really interesting tell for the direction of the market. That's the Boeing chart right there. That's right in the middle of the 2018 range. To me, it really looks like a no-man's land, and that's why I want to focus on how industrial stocks act relative to the earnings that we expect to be good for Q1, but who the heck knows what the forward guidance is going to be. That's the XLI. That's the ETF that tracks the industrial space. Boeing makes up about 8% of that. Honeywell and GE, the two that report next Friday, make up about 10 So I really really want to fade this move here. You can see that downtrend here. Obviously, there's a little bit more room to the upside if the thing was to pop a little bit. But I want to play for a move below 70 over the next month or so, because I think the good news or whatever good news that we have in this sector is in the sector. And when these companies report over the next couple of weeks, they're going to go lower. So today I was looking at the XLI when it was trading at 74 and a quarter. You could look out to May expiration. You could buy the 74.69 put spread paying $1 for that. That breaks even down at 73. You can make up to $4 between 73 and 69 to the downside. I'm targeting that prior low at about 70 there. Um, to me, I really like the risk reward here because I have participation down a buck and a quarter and I have a multiple of what I'm risking that I could make if I get the direction on this trade right. What do you think of industrials, Carter? Okay, I would put it in this kind of context. The market is still above its February 9th low. Honeywell is below. 3M is below. United Technologies is below. Ingersoll Rand is below. The whole sector is rolled, all underperforming the market. And I think that's just a preview of coming attractions. I'm not even going to bother asking about GE then. No, we got GE <laughs> last week's trade as 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, this is definitely the structure you want to have. You know, you have, a, you have some big components of this that really haven't been that hard to hit. Boeing might be the most notable. It's a different kind of a story than GE is, but the structure of the trade makes perfect sense. Hey, listen, you know, when we talked about Boeing, that's how we started this conversation. Yeah. It's kind of the J.P. Morgan of, you know, of the space for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. J.P. Morgan reversed 5% from its pre-market, 6% or something like that. So don't think Boeing, if they, they're going to hit their numbers in Q1, okay? But if they guide down for Q2 or just give cautious guidance, um, this stock is going to be on its way back to the low end of the range, and it's going to take the whole sector with it. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, check out our super cool newsletter. Over 100,000 of you have. So don't be the only one not reading it. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up. Square shares have been flattened, but there's one event that could soon save it. Calling all Options Action fans, got a market question on this big sell-off? Tweet us at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Streaming giant Netflix reporting earnings after the bell on Monday. The stock is currently up 62% year-to-date, with the options traders predicting, predicting some unusually big moves to come. Breaking it down as a man familiar with all the stranger things in the options market, Dom Chu. Hey, Dom. Well, I don't know if orange really is the new black, Melissa, but I do know how Netflix has traded, at least in recent market memory, and it's been a roller coaster ride. More on that in just a bit. But let's start off with what you can expect from the headline numbers of Netflix. According to data compiled by Thomson Reuters, the company is expected to report earnings of 64 cents a share on $3.7 billion worth of revenue. As we've learned in previous quarters, subscriber growth and international streaming growth numbers are going to be the big metrics to watch as traders really dig into this earnings report. That brings us to the anticipated trading action. Over the course of the past eight earnings reports, Netflix stock has been a bit of a coin toss on a positive or negative day following earnings. You got four up and four down. During that span, shares have moved up or down by an average of 8.5%, with double-digit percentage moves up or down in five of those eight reports. As of now, we are seeing the options market pricing in an approximate 10% move in either direction. Melissa, traders will be looking to see if they can remain unbreakable in the wake of Netflix earnings, whether their name is Kimmy Schmidt or not. Back over to you. Thanks, Dom. Dom Chu. So if you want to trade Netflix into earnings, how can you use options to put the odds of success in your favor? Mike Coe is at the Plasma with a very special call to action. Hey, Mike. All right. We've got a great topic. We're going to be talking about how to use probabilities. But the first thing I would point out is that we still have to keep some of the other fundamentals we want to pay attention to in mind. So the first thing we obviously want to know is the stock going to go up. Is it going to go down or is it going to go sideways? Where's the stock going to go? The second thing is, how much do we think it's going to move? A little or a lot? And finally, how much can you make or lose on your trade? These things are going to be important as we take a look at this. So we're taking a look at Netflix. We can see, obviously, here that the stock is actually not that far off of its highs. And, you know, this is, I think, kind of a coin toss here, which way it could go. We've had some very good and some very bad earnings results. But I don't really like the way the market feels right here based on how we closed out the week. So let's take a look at the trade that I identified. Specifically, I'm looking at the April 310, 290 put spread. Pay $13.75 for these, sell th these for three bucks. I'm spending $10.75 for a trade that can be worth, if it goes all the way to that lower strike, $35. Let's pay attention to that. Okay, so now we're going to take a look at some of the probabilities. Hey, here's a good looking guy. Uh, okay, so 98% <laughs> chance that the stock gets to the strike that we're buying, the 310s. 
79% chance that it gets to the break-even, okay? And it's a 36% chance that it gets all the way to that strike where we make the most money. But think about this. This is better than a one in three chance, and it's going to be worth $35 if it gets there. We spent just over 10 to do that, all right? So we can basically say 36% times 35%. I think this trade is worth $12.75, and I'm only paying $10.75 for it. So I like the odds of this trade. I think this is the way you make a play into Netflix earnings. How do you think about this trade? So it's really important, and we don't talk about probabilities that often, and we should more so, but one of the things that's really interesting is that, you know, to me, probability has a lot to do with conviction, too. So how convicted you are in a trade means sometimes, like, how far you're going to reach um, and what the probability of that reach when Mike's talking about. So in this situation, Mike's buying a very high probability put, and he's selling a much lower probability put on the end of his put spread, and that's really the way to do it because he's basically saying, I think there's a low probability it goes through 275, you know, to the downside here, but I really want to kind of capture that mid-range here, and you're trying to put the odds in your favor here, so I like the way you're thinking about it, um, and if you're convicted, then you have a very high probability of success. You know, if you don't know how much you think, the, how much a stock might move going into a catalyst like earnings, the options market's actually going to tell you that. As Dom just pointed out, we're expecting about a 10% move, $313 stock or whatever it was the last time I looked at this thing. So 10%, about 30 bucks. That's kind of how we select those strikes. And the other thing I would point out is that in this particular instance, we're dealing with options that happen to expire one week from today. So it's basically going to be win, lose, or draw. We're going to know the answer by this time next week. Um. For me, this, I mean, I don't want to do it either long or short. Sometimes inflection points, I think, are very identifiable, where one could say, wow, this is well-defined tops at a common level. We could break out, or it's a sell-off the trend. It's on an undercut or bounce. To me, this is 50-50, and sometimes things are 50-50. Now, it might not be what you're thinking, but from the technical point of view, does this pop on earnings? Sure. Does it drop on earnings? Sometimes we're willing to do those, but not this one. Hmm. It's tricky. Harder probability or your probability? Well, it does. This is one of those situations where, with the coin toss, if the move is 10%, this is still a good trade. If it's a 50% chance that it makes a move of 10%, this trade's a winner. Still ahead, one of the hottest trades of the year is flirting with bear market territory. We'll give you the name, tell you how much worse it could get. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Do not go anywhere. More options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Last month, Mike thought Square had more room to run, but it didn't quite work out that way. Here's what we mean. On Options Action, it's our main motto, risk less so we can make more. And that's exactly what Mike tried to do with his bullish bet on Square. After a nearly 200% run in the last year, Mike thought Square still looked pretty good. And that's when things got ugly. That's right, Melissa. And let me tell you exactly how it all went down. I like Square, but buying 100 shares would leave my wallet empty. So to make a different kind of bullish bet, I decided to sell the April 55 put for $3.30. Now in this equation, if Square stayed above 55, I'd get to keep all that money. I'd even see profits if the stock fell slightly below that strike, as long as it stayed above 51.70 by April expiration. But this is where things get complicated, because by selling a put, I could be forced to buy Square at 55 bucks, even if the stock falls to zero. So to limit my risk, I then bought the April 50 put for $1.30 and created my bull put spread. I thought it would put the odds in my favor, 
and here's why. Between the $3.30 I collected by selling the higher strike put and the $1.30 I spent on buying the lower strike put, I'm still able to take in two bucks on the trade. In this scenario, $2 is the most I can make. Even if Square falls below $55, I won't see losses until it falls below that higher strike price by more than the $2 I took in, or below $53. Below that level, losses do kick in, but they're capped at the lower strike put that I bought. Let me simplify this a bit. I found a way to make money if the stock goes up, down, or nowhere at all. But this time I got it wrong. How bad was it, Melissa? Since the time of the trade, the stock has plunged 12%. Now Options Action fans all over the world are wondering just one thing. What will Mike do now? So, Mike, answer the question. What do you do now? Uh, actually, there isn't much we can do. And the reason is this has gone against us badly enough that if you tried to cover this trade, you're probably going to salvage maybe 40 cents. The way to think about it is if you did that, you are selling the 50-55 call spread for 40 cents. And I wouldn't do that. There is some chance that the stock rebounds. And I'm not going to sell that chance this cheaply. All right, moving on here. Dan made a bearish call on the banks last week. So how are you managing this trade? Yeah, so at the time, I think the XLF was 27.30. Today, it's like 27.45. But the, the April 27 puts for 55 cents, 2% of the underlying stock price have lost half of their value here. But here's the thing. We have all those banks that are going to be reporting. We had money centers. Now we're going to have investment banks next week. I think you stick with this trade. I think you're going to get out of this thing, at least for flat. All right, coming up next, final call from the Options Pits. Time now for the final call. Last word from the Options Pits. Carter. Final call, I'm a seller of Morgan Stanley. Throw Goldman in there, too. Mike Coe. Yeah, I think you can use put spreads in Morgan Stanley if you want to make a bearish bet here. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so XLF, I think you can roll those puts out a little bit, play towards May even. All right, looks like our time has expired. I'm Melissa Lee. For more Options Action, check out the website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. We'll see you back here next Friday. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.